So yeah, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew, one of the elders here. If I haven't met you, it's uh, good to see you from, from a distance. Um, and we are continuing our study in the book of James, and we're wrapping up chapter four today. Um, and over the course of the book, you, if you've been with us, um, or if you've read it, you would, you'd know that James is arguing um, to his readers who are believers in Jesus that there are really two kind of ways to live. There's the way of the world, which is uh, the, the, the way, or the world's wisdom, um, and then there is the way of Jesus um, and the wisdom of God, which is modeled and fulfilled in the person of Jesus so perfectly. Um, it sounded like a train was going past. But <laughs> um, and, and for us as Christ followers, the ongoing call is that we are not to be double-minded. James uses that phrase, don't be double-minded. We are to be single-minded in our approach uh, to life and to wholeheartedly pursue this way of wisdom or the way of Jesus, the way of God with our lives, not to kind of have one foot in the kingdom and one foot out. And today we're gonna see how James confronts the sense of self-confidence and presumption that his readers were living with and the diagnosis that he makes for why they are living with this. And actually it's, it's, it's arrogance, it's pride that they're living with. The reason he, he says that this has happened is because they have an incorrect view of themselves on the one hand, and they have an incorrect view of who God is on the other hand, and that has led them to the situation. And what this has done is, is they have grown arrogant in their way of thinking and their, in their attitudes and how they live their lives. Um, and you might think, sure, I don't count, count myself an arrogant person. Uh, maybe this doesn't apply to me. Well, hopefully we'll see that actually there's a lot more of that in our hearts than we would probably like to admit. And today we'll see that to follow Jesus with integrity and to be a Christian that is single-minded in our approach to life is to have a humble attitude to our approach to life. And that humility involves recognizing our nature, who we truly are, our limitations, and also at the same time accepting God for who he truly is, for his sovereignty, and for living for his will. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's dive straight in by reading James 4, uh, verses 13 to 17. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is to sin. James starts off by addressing the presumptive attitudes of his readers. He's speaking to a, a group of people in a community much like ourselves in, in modern 21st century Cape Town. They are upwardly mobile, there's opportunities around them, economic opportunities around them, and this is a time when the Roman Empire is kind of expanding or, or, or you know, it, it, like uh, on the up, and there are, people are moving, they're trading, they're moving from city to city, um, trading and making profits. Um, and James calls out the various presumptions that his readers make, and we'll just go through them quickly now. Look at the things that they presumed, uh, line by line. It says, today or tomorrow. So they presumed that they were in control of when they'll do things. They said, we will go. They presumed they're in control of their movements into such and such a town. They presumed they're in control of where they're going, their destination. We will spend a year there. They presume they're in control of the duration of what they do. We will do business there. They presume they're in control of what they will do. And we will make a profit. They presume they're in control of their success. 
And James confronts this by saying, you say all this, but you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. And if, you, and if we're honest, he's kind of being a bit generous, right? We don't even know what this afternoon is going to bring. You can kind of have your plans for after this meeting, but you actually don't know what's going to happen, right? And you can have an idea of what you're going to do, but you don't know what is really going to come your way today or tomorrow. And what he does is he corrects their understanding of the fragility of life and their lack of control over it. What is your life? What sort of thing is your life that you are thinking about? He says, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. You are a vapor. Encouraging words, right? <laughs> this isn't even the, the sea point fog that kind of comes here in the morning and it lingers for hours and hours and then it's gone by lunchtime. That's far too long for what he's even talking about. He's talking about like an e-cigarette vape. You know, you breathe it out and you're an e-cigarette vape. You're here for a moment, you can see it, it's there, and then it's gone, just vanished. And so, in answer to his question, what is your life? It is short, life is short. It is fragile. It can be taken in a moment or broken in a moment, and it's not in your control. Life is short, life is fragile, and you are not in control of it. You cannot make that mist last any longer than it does. And so you're busy making plans with such confidence, but you've forgotten your own for fragility and mortality. And the reality is, friends, we are all one phone call away or one you know, text message away right now from being reminded of, of this truth, right? And facing this reality and, and, and being humbled by it. Many of us in this room know that firsthand. Right now, this week, uh, last month and, and years past, a bad medical diagnosis an unexpected retrenchment or job loss or a deal that failed that you were banking on and suddenly the trajectory of everything has changed. Complications with your unborn baby, you get the call from the doctor, everything's not as, as it should be and, and suddenly your life plans and dreams are suddenly uh, up in the air. A phone call from school with bad news about your child or as we've all experienced, a global pandemic, right? Things change quickly. Now, you know, my point here isn't to depress you or to scare you, or kind of get you down, or, or make you, um, you know, doubt how good life can be, but is rather to wake us up to the, the realness and the reality of life. It's so easy to forget these things, and to live like life is long, and we are in control, right? That's, that's kind of my natural disposition. I'm going to live till my 80s, probably work till my 70s, live till my 90s, and I'm going to kind of forge my way as I get there. But too often it takes a moment like this to truly humble us, and to for us to correctly see how fragile and short life is. And James is saying to us, recognize what you are. Recognize your limitations. Recognize how short and fragile life is. You may think you have what it takes to make the life you want, but really you have no knowledge over what's coming, and you have no control over it either. And what happens when we forget or we fail to recognize this was actually we become arrogant in our thinking and we become prideful in our thinking and in our attitudes. And James says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. We begin to presume on what we'll do and what we'll achieve. As a millennial, I know not everyone here is a millennial, but as a millennial, I know this is particularly hard to hear. One of our biggest fears as a, as a millennial generation is, to, is, is mediocrity, is kind of being average. Um, and so my natural disposition is to think that, you know, it'll all work out. It's going to be great. 
uh, I'm going to kind of pursue my dreams. I'm going to pursue what I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about, and it's going to come together. I'm going to be good at it. Everything will, will come together. And this you know, doesn't feel like arrogance, right? If I, if I could say that, it doesn't feel like arrogance, right? It isn't the arrogance you see in kind of, you know, not to name call, but Usain Bolt or Conor McGregor, you know, like the, the strutty sort of athletes and, and, and celebs that we know as arrogance. Isn't this far more just like optimism, you know, or, or self, self, uh, healthy self-belief? Isn't that what it actually is? It's just, you know, believing in yourself and believing in the, in the best of things? Well, interestingly, the Greek word, which I, I don't know off the top of my head, sorry, for arrogance here that, that James uses, um, is, this, is used in one other place in the New Testament, and it's used in 1 John 2, and we've got it up here, when, and, and he says this, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of, uh, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is the, the word arrogance, is the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the pride of life, or this arrogance, is this attitude that says, I am the captain of my soul. I will do it my way. I will do with my life exactly as I please. And James calls this boasting because it has nothing of an awareness or, an, or a submission to God's will in it. Our confidence is, is all placed in ourselves. God is at best an afterthought. We ask to bless our plans. God, you know, bless this job. Give me this job. Bless this marriage. Give me this marriage. And James doesn't mince his words. He calls this attitude, attitude evil. Why, why does he call it evil? Well, it's evil because at the root of it, at, at the core of it, it's the same lie that the devil told Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? It's your life. Do with it as you want. Pursue it as you want. Your happiness, your well-being is the most important thing. Don't let anything get in the way. Anything that hinders that or stops that or, or, or harms that is toxic. It's bad, you've got to cut it out, you've got to cancel it. How often do we see that this day in our culture? If it's not working for you, cut it out, cancel it, it's toxic. And what we see here is that this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Christ followers. This is double-minded living. For the way of Christ is the way of humility. New York Times contributor and, and author David Brooks argues that humility on the one hand is not just thinking less of yourself, although that is a good thing to do, is think less of yourself, but rather more accurately of yourself. And he says this, it's an awareness that there is a lot you don't know and that a lot of what you think you know is distorted or wrong. So there's a lot you don't know and even the little stuff that you do know is either distorted or it's wrong. It's knowing that you are an underdog in the struggle against your weakness. I love that phrase, I am an underdog in the struggle against my weakness. And in this case, our weakness is that we are not in control of what's coming our way and we don't know what's coming our way and there's no way of changing that. Theologian and pastor John Piper describes humility as, as recognizing two things, that we are not God, which is obvious, but you know, we, we tend to forget it, and we are not good, ultimately, at our core. We are finite, we are mortal, we bend towards self-confidence and hubris. We, our hearts boast in our capabilities. We make plans and arrogance and pursue them. So, it's a heavy message. You may be asking, is James saying it's wrong to plan? There's no point in planning. What do I do with my five-year plans, my investment you know, portfolios, all those things? 
uh, is that all wrong? Is God against those? What's going on? Not at all. Proverbs speaks many times about, you know, using, stewarding your resources wisely, saving. Um, Proverbs 31 praises the entrepreneurial spirit of the, of the woman that, is, that it's written about. So the God, God is not against planning or, or you know, having a, a goal or a dream or anything like that. The point James is making uh, to his readers and to us this morning is that if there is a good God in heaven, and if he is sovereign over all things, as we've sung this morning, then he should be the reference point for everything that we do. So what James does is he's corrected their attitude of themselves or their, their view of themselves, that life is short, life is fragile, they're not in control. But now he turns and he corrects their attitude about who God is. He says in uh, verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And what's happening here is James, is James sorry, what, what's happening is that, is that James's readers have completely forgotten that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign. And what does that mean? It's kind of a, a word we don't use often outside of church, but the sovereignty of God is the fact that the Lord, that God is the Lord over all creation. There is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe, in your life, in the world, in the city that is outside of his influence and outside of his authority. Might be not according to his will and according to you know, his heart, but it is not outside of his control and his authority. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he has no limitations. Now, let's quickly remind ourselves for a moment um, just two attributes, attributes and the nature of God. On the one hand, God is omniscient right? He is all-knowing. He knows exactly what tomorrow will bring. He knows exactly what every day for the rest of your life will bring. He knows exactly our thoughts, our heart motivations. He is all-knowing. But also, He is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard or too difficult for Him to reign over. He has total control over it. So not only does He know exactly what's uh, coming, but he has complete control over it. And sometimes we tend to think either God has complete control over things, but he doesn't know what's coming, and so he's kind of scrambling to, to, to make things right, or he knows what's coming, but he doesn't have complete control over it, and so we've got to wait till the end of time for those two things to kind of come together. But that's not the case. God is omniscient, and he is omnipotent. And James appeals to the sovereignty of God over life itself. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live. And think it's worth reminding ourselves that it's the Lord himself right now who's sustaining all of us in this room. He is upholding the galaxies and the universe by his word, but he is also upholding every cell in our body right now. No one lives or breathes outside of his control and his saying so. He then appeals to the sovereignty, James appeals to the sovereignty of God over what we do with our lives. He says, if the Lord wills, we will live and then we will do this or we will do that. So God is not only sovereign over the, whether we live, but what we do with our lives. And our doings are not entirely in our control. Where we plan to go, where we plan to settle, it's by God's will that you may trade, that you may make a profit, or that you may trade and not make a profit. Or you go to such and such a town, or you stay in Cape Town. James says that, we are to live our lives with this posture of saying, if the Lord wills, I will do such and such. And this posture isn't showing a lack of faith in God, as it might sound like, but it actually is an act of faith in Him itself. It's correctly ordering our faith and our hope and our trust. 
Because by saying, if the Lord wills, it shows that God might have other plans than we do. He might have other ideas, and it might not look good, but He is still good. Whether you hit your five-year plans, or you make the 40 under 40 list, or 50 under 50, or 60 under 60, whatever, you know, Forbes is unraveling these days, whether you tick off your bucket list, you get to retire early, or have to work much later than you wanted to, God is still good, and His heart for you is still good. He can still be trusted. He is still worthy of your worship. Tim Keller, I mean, we always have to quote Tim Keller, right? Um, I wasn't going to, and then he tweeted something this week, and I was like, that's too good, I can't, I can't actually not include it. Um, but he wisely pointed out this week uh, that he says, if you say, I trusted God, and I depended on Him, and He didn't come through for me, and so now I'm not sure whether I should trust God, then all you did was you trusted God to meet your agenda. But God is worthy to be trusted and loved because He is good and He is God alone. And so I want to ask you this morning, what plans or what hopes or what dreams do you need to hold a little less tightly onto? What do you need to say, not my will, but God's will be done? Or if the Lord wills, I will do such and such a thing. And if, it, and if He doesn't will it, He is still good and He's still got plans for me. What are you holding out for that if it doesn't come through, you're going to be tempted to say, God, where were you? Why don't you love me? Why don't you want the best for me? What area of your life do you need to walk in a little bit more humility in this regard? Now, the book of James can feel crushing, right, as you read its pages, because it, it makes it so obvious how short we fall and how much we fail to be, you know, the, the, the Christians of integrity that I think we, we hope to be. It points out how, how far we fall short. But the point is not to read James and to think, oh man, I need to try harder, I need to work harder. The point is to, to read it and say, and throw yourself at the throne of the one who gives grace, who gives us grace to live like this. The point is to see our, our desperate need for his grace and then to receive it, in, in a, uh, to be enabled to, to live this way. And the beautiful thing church, is that Jesus knows what we are like, right? He knows your fragility. He knows you are not in control. He doesn't expect you to be. He doesn't want you to be. Psalm 103 says, the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, that we are vapors. Jesus' heart is one of compassion towards you, and his invitation to you is, come to me. Let's keep going on this race that I've laid out before you. I know you stumble. I know you tend towards thinking you can do it. I know you fall into double-mindedness. Don't try to run this race on your own. That's not how you were designed to do it. You are weak, but my grace is strong. It'll carry you. I've started a good work in you that I'm gonna continue, that I'm gonna see to the end. And if you're struggling to believe that, just look what I did for you. I went to the cross for you. I didn't hold anything back. And slowly but surely, I'm recreating you from the inside out. I'm sanctifying you. I'm not going to give up on you. The secret of receiving this great grace from our Lord Jesus is to acknowledge our need for it, right? That's all we need to do is we need to surrender our, ourselves and our hearts and our lives and say, Jesus, I, I need your grace in this area. And whether you've never done it before, you don't even consider yourself a Christ follower, that's, that's 
what it looks like to be a Christ follower. It's just saying, God, I need your grace for my life. I surrender myself. Or whether you've been a Christ follower for decades. This is the 10,000th church meeting you've attended. We freshly need to say, Jesus, I need your grace. And you know what? He loves to give it. Earlier in, in, in chapter 4, James said, God's grace uh, flows to the humble. So we are not God. We are not good. But in Jesus, we have a Savior who is God, who is fully powerful, fully in control, but who is also good. The song we sang today spoke to this, right? Jesus, the one thing I can count on. Jesus, the one thing I'm sure of. He is the one who lived and spoke these words. Not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. And he went to the cross on our behalf so that today we can say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. Carrying on reading in James, uh, it says in verse 17, it says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this simply speaks to, the, to us being a people who are not just hearers of the word, right, but doers as well. It, we so often get this wrong, right? It, it's easy to think, okay, well, I'm not doing bad things, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. But actually, James says, if you know what the right thing to do and, and you don't do it, that is, that is equally sin, sins of, uh, of commission, what we do, sins of omission of what we don't do. And, and the whole book can kind of, you know, this verse can apply to the whole book about being humble, uh, controlling your tongue, um, how you treat the poor, what you do with your, your riches, etc. But Jesus knew what was right, and he did it. He didn't back away from it. He didn't put his own desires first. He was resolved to follow the will of his Father, and so in Jesus, we have an older brother who has gone before us in this regard. He wasn't double-minded. He wasn't just a hearer of the word. He was a doer of it too. And because of that, we get to enjoy his grace and we get to become doers of the word as well. And so the final point, how are we to live in light of this? What are we supposed to do with this? Is life meaningless because it's just short? Or are we supposed to just kind of cram it uh, with pleasures and whatever feels good to make our own meaning and our own purpose? What does it mean to be a Christian in a short life? What does it mean to live by faith as a Christian? Well, the call for us is to live humbly in ourselves, but be confident in God. Be humble in yourself, but be confident in God. What that looks like is not to disregard life or simply make your own meaning out of it, but to make your life count for something that will outlast you. We all want our lives to matter and to count, right? The problem is we can so quickly use them up and, and spend our time and our energy and our affections um, and efforts towards things that ultimately don't matter and what don't count. And what the way of Jesus is as a Christ follower is to build, your, build to build your life towards his kingdom that can never be shaken and which will never vanish. Yes, your life is fragile. Yes, it's short. It may be far shorter than you want it to be but you can make it count for something that is going to outlast yourself. And you do that by choosing how you spend it. Everything we do from the careers we pursue, the relationships we pursue, the neighborhoods we move to, uh, what we do with our money, what we do with our bonuses, what we do with our time, what we do with our, our talents and, and the, the gifts and the skills that we've been given should be done in accordance with God's will. Now, this is not a message from, you know, like a, a church pastor telling you just to kind of cram your schedule with Sunday activities and church programs. Uh, 
I am not a full-time church pastor. I have a career. Uh, three of the five elders in this church all are working in, in the marketplace and, and have careers in that regard. Um, this isn't a call to kind of shrink your life and to shrink your vision for your life and fill up your, your schedule with church programs. It's a call to expand your life and expand your vision for something far bigger than yourself. The Lord has placed you where you are and he wants, you to, he wants to use you for the extension of his kingdom so that other people can experience this grace that you've experienced, right? So a simple thing you can do is look at what you have and ask, how can God use this for his kingdom? Look at what you have. How can you use it for the kingdom? Do you, some quick examples, do you have a dining room table? Anyone have a dining room table? Great. Fill it with people who need food, who need love, who need community. If you can cook or if you can buy food, fill people around your table, get to know them, get to know their story. Make them feel loved and at home. Do you have kids? Perfect. Teach them to love God. Model to them what it means to, to live for something bigger than yourself, to live for his kingdom. Do you have a, a team that reports to you at work? Amazing. Demonstrate to them what it looks like to be a sacrificial leader who serves them and wants the best for them and is not just kind of looking, you know, looking for them to serve you and your interests and your bottom line. Do you have a business? I'm sure we've got many business owners here. Even better, how are you using your business to not just build a profit, but build into the lives of your employees and the people you serve? My father is, is one of the most inspiring people to me in this regard. For uh, 20 odd years, he was the CEO of a, of a reinsurance company. And um, to kind of maybe just you know land that he, he was good at what he does, because that, that's kind of important to the story. Um, a few years ago, we, he, we went back to Joburg to our, our family childhood home uh, with my parents, and, and we were taking Polly there, and we had been out of the home for about 15 years, and we rang the doorbell, and we said, hey, we used to live here, can we come and see the house and just see you know, any changes or what's happened? And they said, yeah, sure, come on in. And, uh, and we walked in, and we were looking around and you know, showing Polly where I used to play cricket and all that stuff in the garden. And my dad kind of introduced himself, and he said, oh, my name's uh, Steve, Steve Murphy. And very small world, but this guy who owned the house now is in insurance as well, strangely. And he was like, oh my gosh, are you Steve Murphy? And I was like, what are you, what are you doing? It's my dad. And he's like, no, I've, I've heard about you. I'm in insurance. Yeah, please have this bottle of wine. Like, you're a legend in the industry. And I'm going like, dad, who are you? What is this? Um, he's like some celeb in the, in the sort of niche world of, of reinsurance. Um, but... Uh, but, but the point of the story, that was just to kind of you know, land his credentials that he was good at what he does. But the point of the story is that, you know, even to this day, literally a couple of months ago, he gets emails from people who used to work for him from 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they say to him, hi, Steve, you might not remember me. I, I worked for you 20 years ago. This one from a few months ago. Um, this lady said, I needed therapy. Uh, I was going through a tough time and my medical aid ran out and, and they wouldn't cover it. And and I didn't know at the time, but you told HR that, that the company was going to pay for it. And I'm, I'm a whole person today uh, because of the investment that you made in me. Thank you. He gets emails regularly by people saying, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for standing by me when my, my marriage crumbled. Thank you for being interested in my kids and, and what they're doing with their lives. Thank you for caring about me beyond just my job description. And his life is a, a life spent towards building God's kingdom, something that is eternal. And to kind of bring it to a close, I get this wrong 
99.9% of the t time, but there was one moment from a few weeks ago where I felt like I tasted this in my, in, in my life, where I felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. And a few weeks ago, I was going up to Joburg for an industry um, awards event. Um, I'm in advertising, and, and we love giving ourselves awards. And, and we went up, yeah, it's, it's true. And I, I, we were flying up to Joburg, and I, and I don't, I'm like, don't do this often as I should. And I, and I just prayed, and I said, God, won't you use this trip, you know, for your kingdom? Or make it fruitful and beneficial. I'm going to be on the plane. I'm going to be with my colleagues who, are, you know, you don't get to have deep conversations with. I'm going to be traveling with them in Ubers and stuff. What, what, won't you use this time for me to connect with them, maybe share a bit about my faith or my life or that kind of thing? Um, and we went to Joburg, and, and, and it, it, the, the uh, awards went well, but I didn't have any of these deep conversations. And I was sitting on the plane, and I was like, oh, man, kind of missed my opportunity a little bit. And there was a, a, a lady sitting next to me, and she was having a very lively conversation with this um, Air Force pilot guy next to her, and they were talking about everything. And I was kind of like listening in, and I started to, I was interested, so I kind of wormed my way into the conversation. Um, and then I started talking to her, and I, and, and I asked her, like, and she had just, I heard she had just moved to Cape Town. And I said, oh, what brings you to Cape Town, et cetera. And then I asked her, where, where, you know, whereabouts she stays, and she said, Sea Point. And I thought, okay, this is, this is my gap, this is my in. <laughs> And so I said, I said, I know Seapoint well. I go to church there, <laughs> which is quite a strange thing to say when you're speaking to a stranger on a plane. But I was just like, oh, what, how's it going to go? And, um, and I kind of was ready just to like, kind of keep it going, you know, be cool. And she said, oh, what, what church do you go to? And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, and I told her and I asked her, you know, does she have a, a church background? And she said, yeah, she's actually, she moved to Cape Town in January. She was a part of a church in Joburg. But she's been struggling to find a church, and she's been she's been looking for one. Um, and so I was able to give her the details. Um, her name's Nazar. I don't even know if she's here this morning or if she's she's come since then. But um, I left that 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 conversation thinking, Wow, God, maybe you used me for a moment to to connect this person. Maybe she was doubting, like, Am I ever going to find a church home? She lives in Seapoint. She met some guy on a plane who who goes to a church in Seapoint. What a what a thrilling thing to be a part of. The awards in our bags were already, already vanished. They were already vapors that had gone, you know, but that conversation could um, spark something uh, that, will, that will lead to much fruit. And it's God building his kingdom. And I want to encourage us, church, God is building his kingdom. The invitation to us is, will we open our eyes to it? Will we say yes to it? Will we humble ourselves and kind of take our eyes just off of our own plans for a moment and let God exalt us in the way that only he can do? Will we acknowledge that we are not good, we are not God, but we have a Savior who is, who is God and who is good and who loves to give us grace so that we can live like this. That's the beauty of God, right? That's the beauty of who we serve. He takes our lives, they are short, they are fragile, and he says, if you let me, I will use them in ways far bigger than you can understand. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no your mind or heart hasn't even imagined what God has for you if you love him and if you open your life to him. But before he builds with your life, he wants to build in your life. He wants to build in your life with grace and mercy, turning your arrogance into humility, turning your self-confidence into self-awareness, turning your boastfulness into joyful submission to his will. What a, an amazing God we serve.